Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 406. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and this week bringing you a very interesting conversation that about a topic that I didn't really know was a a thing, and that is EMDR with kids. Did you know that kids can do EMDR? I mean, it makes sense, but I never really thought about it. Guests today are Ann Beckley Forrest and Annie Monaco. Annie Monaco LCSWR, RPT, is a licensed clinical social worker and registered play therapist and author and co-editor of EMDR with Children in the Play Therapy Room, an integrated approach. Anne Beckley Forrest, LCSWR, RPTS, is a licensed clinical social worker and a registered play therapist supervisor. And she is co-editor of EMDR with Children in the Play Therapy Room, an integrated approach as well and a founding member of a nonprofit called Global Child EMDR Alliance. So these two women know their stuff, and I really enjoyed talking with them about how and why they use EMDR with kids who have experienced trauma and disrupted attachment. And so a few weeks ago, you heard my, well, actually, it's a couple months ago now, at least a month ago, you heard my interview with Robin Goebel about children who've had multiple disruptions in their attachment relationships and exhibit behaviors that adults don't really understand. Professionals and family members tend to be perplexed by the behaviors that they see these children whose needs have gone unmet and have experienced things that they can't express. So the behaviors that the adults see don't really make sense to them. And that's what Robin was talking about on her episode. And today, Anne and Annie will be talking about how they use EMDR with children in the same situation. 
and why they do processing even when the children are still potentially in traumatic situations. So now that's an oversimplification, what I just said. So wait and actually listen to the episode before you get concerned because what they said made sense to me. I don't work with children now, but I've worked with many children over the years and it's tricky navigating the not wanting to re-traumatize them and wanting them to feel empowered within the process. So I think this is a really beautiful conversation where Anne and Annie explain how they do what they do and why they do it the way they do it. I'd love to know what you think. So let's dive right into my conversation with Annie Monaco and Anne Beckley Forrest. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so excited to be speaking with Anne Beckley Forrest and Annie Monaco. Anne and Annie, thanks so much for being my guests on Therapy Chat today. Thank you for having us. Yes, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. On the show, I've been talking with more and more therapists who use EMDR, and I was really interested in talking with you two because you are integrating play therapy and EMDR together. And I'm really, I'm really curious about that as someone who's, you know, done play therapy a lot and not trained in EMDR yet, but you know, other things I, I want to really like absorb how you bring those two together and, and why, but let's just start off why, by you two sharing a little bit more about who each of you are and what you do. Sure, I'll go first. So I have been a play therapist for about 25 years or so, give or take. And, you know, obviously for those of us who love play therapy, we know that it's the best way to get the child in the kind of, you know, rapport that we need for therapy, the kind of equality that you need with your therapist and also signals of safety, like having toys in the room and all of that. But I was a kind of a reluctant student of EMDR. I think it was 10 or 12 years ago, my agency asked me to go to EMDR training. Annie was the instructor. And I was a little bit of one of those annoying students who sits in the front row and goes, mm, I have a question about that. Uh, I work only with kids. I'm not really sure this is going to work. You know, that kind of, you know, constructive engagement, but annoying, I'm sure. But instead of disengaging from me, Annie kind of leaned into that. And that's really how our collaboration started in terms of how to make EMDR more playful. But Annie, I'll let her tell her about her long history in the EMDR world. Yeah, so I, I actually have been trained for a very long time. I was trained in the really kind of beginning years. So Francine Shapiro is the person that developed EMDR, an amazing woman who has unfortunately passed away, but she really wanted fidelity to the model. So when I got trained in 1998, it was a very controversial year because people thought EMDR was a big hoax. And so it was Francine and many, many amazing researchers, top people in the trauma field that helped her make it evidence-based. And it is the most highly researched treatment in the world and one of the top treatments for obviously trauma. And we look at trauma in many different ways. So so I got trained. I was already working with teenagers who commit crimes in the community. I was uh, doing family therapy. I was being trained in a model. So we, uh, we, meaning me and several colleagues, 
we combined EMDR, family therapy, working with teens, working with children. And again, like Ann said, when I met her, I had not, I had been doing some work with small children, but then, you know, went into private practice and started doing more. And it's really our mission together is to make therapists feel competent. And so, you know, we know that high risk children and teens are very hard to treat. It's hard to involve the, the parents, caregivers, and it's hard to make them successful. And so EMDR works very quickly and people don't talk a lot about that, but it can work very quickly with this population. And I work with foster care kids now. I work with highly dissociative kids and I can do amazing wonders in just some few sessions with these kids. And so right now, Ann and I are training together. We travel internationally. We travel locally. We do lots of virtual trainings. We hold these cool summits where we'll talk about that later. But it's all about making therapists be able to feel competent, have the knowledge and be able to treat high risk kids. So that's our goal. Yeah. So and, you know, one of the things that when you were asking us right before we got on a little bit about our work, you know, as a play therapist, I, of course, was doing my best within the kind of play therapy environment to help kids to digest traumatic experiences. One of the things that that I had a growing discomfort with, and I think EMDR sort of helped me to answer, is the fact that some kids, because avoiding reminders of the traumatic experience is part of PTSD, part of anxious, you know, avoidance, we just weren't getting to that work. And that's really what I hear from a lot of play therapists in consultation is, I know that my therapy is at least providing a safe, a safe haven and that there's a corrective experiences attachment-wise, but we aren't doing is the exposure work to the trauma. Yeah. And the research is really in and has been coming in over the last 15 or 20 years that that is actually how the brain and the body in particular can heal from these adverse experiences is exposure and just managing it in such a way that we can desensitize some of the most upsetting parts and sort of reorganize the story, our own story, in a way that makes sense. And so IEMDR has added a lot to my practice as far as being able to do that in a kind of coherent way. And as Annie said, also sort of a quicker way than, you know, this kind of painstaking tiptoeing towards it that was happening yeah. in some of my play therapy sessions prior to learning EMDR. It's not, you know, out of the box, EMDR, people go to EMDR training. You get trained in the adult protocol first. That's the standard of training. And then you have to start adapting from there. And so that adaptation, that's where all of the excitement and all of the energy is in our work is like, let's really spell that out. So we edited a book together. We had 20 different authors. Oh, you mean I, book. Look at that. I have the book right here. Uh, I, um, I had to grab one for some reason. And these are all play, mostly play therapists, child therapists who are using EMDR and talk about how they're integrating it. And so for us, that was kind of the beginning of really spreading the word like to other people, yeah. having it go beyond our own practices and our own community and trying to cast a little wider net. And really, my goal is that all, all the play therapists should have EMDR in their toolkit. So yeah, I don't know how close we are to that goal, but we're making progress. So. <laughs> we are. So, you know, Laura, just to bring it, you know, for your listeners, like we are really playful people. So, you know, foster care kids come in with, you know, the 
that's my population right now, mostly. And they come in with the worst of the worst traumas, right? And so Hannah and I teach therapists about how to get at that horrific traumas, right? But we're doing it with playing with swords, magic wands, in the sand, high-fiving, right? And the other thing is we teach therapists how to bring those caregivers, those parents in the room to do EMDR with these kids. Um, And it doesn't just have to be foster care kids. I mean, all children, we bring in the parents, as well as we do this with teens. So a lot of our trainings are really, they're videos of our work with kids. They're very lengthy transcripts of what we do in every session. And, you know, we just have good evidence of showing that this works. So thank you for explaining this. And I'm I'm just, I want to like reflect back what I heard. I heard you saying that the dilemma is in play therapy, and I certainly can relate to this in my experience with play therapy, that the avoidance that is so protective, which happens through the process of dissociation, you know, at whatever level of consciousness with the action of dissociation, like I'm deliberately pushing it away or it's just happening because that's how I'm protecting from knowing what this life-threatening thing that I can't know, right? So in working with children, I've definitely experienced, especially in like four, five, six, seven-year-olds and nine even where, you know, you know something happened to them. You know they experienced trauma, but they are not going there. They're just not going there. They're like, you yeah. know, nope. You know, it's like yeah. you, you Correct. Yeah. gently bring up the topic or you somehow, you know, yeah. go near it. And they're like, nope, nope, just nope. You know, they're just, they change the subject or they're just they not away. engaging with you. Exactly. They look away. They, they might literally zone out in that moment. Either way, you know that talking about this right now is not happening. <laughs> they don't yeah. feel comfortable talking yeah. about this right now. And and Laura, they're never going to feel comfortable, right? Like, you know, I mean, we know what foster care kids have been through, right? We know what severe neglect cases, you know, and deals with a lot of out-of-country adoptions, things like that. Like, no, they're never going to feel comfortable. And so, because it's really, not comfortable. It's a super it's not traumatic experience. We, and we can't get adults to do this work, right? right? I mean, you know, so the avoidance is our job as therapists to work around it, find a way to make it easier for kids. And the, the greatest thing about children and teens is that the processing is so much quicker than adults. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, without being too graphic, I've worked on a memory of this little girl being removed from her home for lots of uh, physical injuries. And, you know, we're talking within 40 minutes, 30 minutes, she was able to process so much and just, you know, stopped hitting the, that, after that session, stopped hitting the animals in the home, stopped touching her sister and her private parts. Like that's the kind of results that me and Ann get. And we want to teach therapists how to do this. And so, so it's kind of like you're saying that by what they can't go to in session because they need to avoid it is perpetuating the continued reenactments and re-experiencing. Sure. We did it with, we, so her and her mom did it with, her and her foster mom did it with swords. They, we did that. And then we also did drumming. We did a parade. Like that's what we teach. And you know, of course it was hard for her, but she's playing an instrument. 
She's hitting a sword, right? It's yeah. it's done in a way that's so much more able to help her talk and process it and not. And, you know, because of course she avoids. She looked at me and she goes, oh, I'll never talk about this, right? Well, you know, for people who some of your listeners are not trained in EMDR or, uh, you know, other protocols like that, the real magic part of it, not magic, the science part, is what makes it seem like magic. Right. Is the idea of dual attention. Look at the memory, march around the room, bang on the drum. Oh, yeah. Remember that bad thing that happened? Show me in the sand. Nope. Get up. Move around the room. We're going to hit the drum. We're going to hit the xylophone. You know, having a parade. Now mom's going to tap on your shoulders. We're all going to take a deep breath together. Let's have a snack. Now let's do it again. So this idea of you have to be able to hold the yucky stuff while at the same time stay in the room. And that's where the play really has enhanced, I think, even what's possible. You know, EMDR has been an amazing protocol. It's been around a long time. Some of what's happening now is what I think play therapists are bringing to the table is a repertoire of playfulness that just makes that space a little bit bigger. Can we do it one more time? Can we, you know, can we do it in EMDR? We do bilateral stimulation, right, left, right, left. That's the eye movements, right? With kids... It tends to be more tactile or movement oriented just because they don't sit there and move their eyes. But even that moving and all of that, this is counteracting that dissociative response. It's counteracting the freeze response that wants to kind of, you know, come in when, when they're triggered or reminded, you know, have reminders of the original event. So, so I think that's really what play therapy is bringing to EMDR is kind of already this sense of, co-regulation and a big repertoire for how to do that with a kid. We don't, we're not going to sit there and, and, you know, passively say, okay, now remember what it is that, you know, and do lots of talk, talk, talking. Instead, we're going to try to use play and expressive materials to make it more possible because little kids are not going to be able to say in words, everything that they experienced, but with their bodies, they can show the intensity with a sword fight or they can, Sometimes we have kids show us with artwork or with the, with miniatures or some other kind of play material, show us something about what happened. Okay, now we're going to do that, desensitizing that bilateral. So, so it's kind of, I mean, it's really quite exciting. It's a very different, much more active kind of therapy. And it's more directive than a lot of play therapists were raised to be. But even in that, there's still that dance in and out of the content, I think. Yeah. And it can't be forced, you know, and, and sometimes we might consider the EMDR part of a session might be six or seven minutes out of a 45 minute session, but we're in and we're out and we're in and we're out. And that's what makes, you know, kids able to be successful at it. So titrating it. Yes, exactly. Perfect word. Titration and pendulation, right? There you go. There you go. (laughs) Two of my favorite words. That (laughs) along with toys, with tactile. (laughs) And kinesthetic, that's the other, you know, so. You um, got to form an acronym, acronym, man. Yeah, right? Yeah, I don't know. There's too many T's in there. I can't do it. <laughs> well, I'm curious um, about, I mean, is the play part of the expression? Is the play regulating? Is the play the attunement, the holding space? you know, the containment of the relationship? And is it, is it you can dive right in and do this like from the very beginning or how much time does it take to build up 
therapeutic rapport, especially when you have like disrupted attachments and the child may have like an, you know, the indiscriminate attaching or the, you know, very avoidant way of not being able to attach easily. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously there's no one size fits all. I do think that we've had a tendency to wait too long Mm -hmm. to be kind of stuck in perpetual preparation because the therapist, as well as the child, is waiting for some sort of all clear that we can go towards this stuff that every fiber of my being says we should avoid. Mm -hmm. And as a a caring adult, every fiber of my being says, I don't want to upset this kid. You know, it's not easy to say, hey, it's Tuesday afternoon. Let's talk about the worst thing that ever happened to you. Like that's, you know, it takes quite a bit of sort of therapeutic confidence to even lead kids that way. So I do think that establishing a relationship where kids can say no, you know, which is one of the great things about play therapy. And it's kind of, you know, especially it's sort of child-centered or child-led dimensions of play therapy is establishing more equality in the therapeutic relationship than kids would naturally have. And then kids who have attachment patterns that are about defying adults, they don't make good customers for trauma therapy either, or the people pleasers. Either one of those has got a potential disruption because what I really need is co-regulation, right? So I think it depends on the scenario, how much time, I don't think there's a magic amount of time um, necessarily because some kids are able to get there pretty quickly. If they have good current caregivers, I'm much bolder. So in a good foster care situation or I had a kid who had a really bad experience but had very secure attachment prior, we did not spend a lot of time in preparation. But we had the attachment in the room with the parents in the room to kind of supply some of that. So, And, so, and I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to build on what Ann said. And <clears throat> this little girl is an, a great example of you know, not wanting to go there, having had been in play therapy alone for almost two years. And the adopt the, the foster parents said, we can't adopt her. She's so aggressive. So I moved a little bit quicker because like Ann said, they were very stable foster parents, very, they were willing to be in the room with me. They were willing to do what I asked. And she realized how great she felt after the EMDR session, right? She's not in trouble for hitting the dog. She's not in trouble at school. She's not in trouble, right? So she started really coming in, not going, hey, Annie, I want EMDR, but she was so much more willing to share things. And remember, like Ann said, this is not the whole hour, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we're playing a lot of it and we're touching you know, the titration, pendulation of the the material, and then she feels really good after. So it was I was recording one day of, of her session and, you know, she really didn't want to do it that day. And, you know, so I just backed away. It was other things were going on in her per in her life. And so all of a sudden she goes up to the camera and she goes like she's recording herself and she's like, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, sometimes I don't like this, but I just feel so much better after. And so, you know, and I looked at her and I'm like, I thought you were mad at me today. And she goes, no, I feel really good. And she had just fully disclosed every single thing that had happened to her that day, you know, because EMDR really opens kids up to feel comfortable to to be able to say details, right? And so it it was such a powerful session. And so I started interviewing her 
And then by mistake, she hit the camera and it fell. And I was like, oh my God, we had this perfect interview of why is EMDR good for a six-year-old, you know, who's living in foster home, right? You know, but I, I think if I help therapists, if Ann and I help therapists get past that first really hard session with the kid, they they then, like Ann uses that word bold, they become, therapists become very bold and then kids become very invested in feeling better. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Hmm. So it's getting past that, that hump. And, you know, so big part of what we're trying to do is not just give trainings, but also um, built into the EMDR world, much like the play therapy world, there's a structure for consultation for the developing therapist in the model. And so what we have been trying to do is really grow the pool of consultants who can speak to work with children. And so we have like a lot of Andrea consultants in training now who are yeah. registered play therapists who then learned EMDR. And so I, cause I think that's just as important that you, yeah. that people have that, those kind of resources for storytelling about their individual situation. Cause it's different. I can't give you a rule, a hard and fast rule about how long do you need to spend preparing or yeah. how much time should you spend? You know, if a child has a post-trauma narrative, that's a part of their own play should you let that go, you know, unfold for a while and be kind of preparing for the EMDR by noticing what's coming up in the play, you know, so there's different, there's different ways to approach it. And I think that's where good consultation, which, you know, really on the EMDR side, there hasn't been a huge repertoire of people who had that very child specific experience. And so we're trying to increase the, you know, yeah. credential consultants on that side to do that. So, yeah, that's great. And, you know, and I think that's really important because what I've found over the years, when I go to a training, if they're not speaking my language, I wonder if the trainer understands what I understand about the topic. And I think, well, this is great if you didn't know this, that I know, but they're not apparently entertaining that. So like, Having You're also play. a bad student that sits in the front. And yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yeah. Ah, I wanted to okay, ask you I what... I knew there was something about you. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you what were your, like, critiques in the training? Because that's me, like, you know, I'm like, but how do you... And I have a, a few more things to ask, but it's like, how do you... If you work with dissociative, highly dissociative kids who are in foster care, like... How do you know they're safe enough to be able to go there? 
Like, yeah, you know, because yeah. they are but, in the environment of loss of their attachment yeah. experience. Well, I will tell you this. This is what I have come to. And it has taken me a while to get to this point, but it's not getting better. So every year, every month that kids are living with unprocessed trauma, it's interfering with normal growth and development. So it's actually an emergency mm-hmm. that they be yes, able to is. at least digest this much at a time, but start because if we're waiting for adolescence, that's a disaster. Yes. Unprocessed trauma in adolescence is way more dangerous than bringing up, you know, poking. There's a woman out in Australia, an EMDR therapist who talks about the challenge of this particular population, very dissociative foster care. And she calls it waking the sleeping dog. Like nobody wants to wake up the sleeping dog. Everyone just wants to tiptoe around and go, they're doing so great in school. That's just great. But meantime, the layers upon layers of avoidance. Yes. And and the inside turmoil is not improving. So, you know, I, what I say to parents who don't want to do, go down this road is play the tape to the end. How do you want it to turn out? Do you want this kid to be able to own, a, own their own story? We got to start now. We can't wait for them to be 13 because then at 13, you're supposed to be ditching your par- your caregivers yeah not you know and you want to be able you know little kids will accept the attachment interweaves and the support and they'll try things and these dissociative patterns are not set in stone you know and I think you asked to Laura like how do you know if they can handle this and you know obviously we teach a very comprehensive approach and it's many things, right? So that case in particular, you know, somebody said to me, uh, could be, could have been Anne, why'd you, how'd you move so fast? How'd you know to move so fast? And I said, um, I, I sometimes have other, you know, foster care kids have to have another therapist in an agency to get medication. So the other therapist is the one that approached me. And so she was solid. She told me how great the foster parents were, how great they were. I knew the agency caseworker. I interviewed them myself, right? And sometimes I will see people twice in one week for several weeks to make sure that we're getting them through the material and that it has a positive impact. So it's so many pieces. I'm a person that involves school people. I, I'm, I'm the first to call a social worker or a teacher and say, hey, I'm doing some work with this kid. Can you help out? Can you give them a break? Can you support them? My One of my best stories is a foster care boy that I went to go meet with the two kindergarten teachers and, you know, he was uh, physically burned on his body. And um, I said, will you take care of him Monday through Friday? I'm going to do the trauma work on Sunday. And uh, they were like, of course we will. And so he'd walk in on Monday. They would hug him. They'd give him candy. They're like, we heard you did great work with Miss Monica. You're Miss Annie, right? And And it was this, it was the team approach, right? And then the caseworker made sure to go visit on Tuesday, right? We had people lined up mm. to help the processing. So it's not just us as therapists. That makes sense. Right? And Anne is right. I mean, my first, one of my first population was working in prisons. And that is the image. Those men in prison used to tell me their story of childhood. And it's the foster care kids story. So when Ann says emergency, it is an emergency. We know that kids who are dissociative in childhood become DID. That's a given, right? And many foster care kids end up in prison. 
this is our, our, the four walls is filled with people who have significant trauma, you know, the four walls of prison. So the school to prison pipeline. Yep. And the child welfare to prison pipeline. There you go. So if we do some work, you know, and foster care kids are moved all the time, right? Or our kids with neglect or whatever things get happen. But if we do some work, you can really stop. Like if you look at all your school shooters, what do you, you know, these young people, who do you think they are? These are highly neglectful, you know, children that people let the dissociation continue, didn't treat them. And of course, you start hearing voices in your head and parts of self, right? We teach lots about parts of self. So, you know, our approach is very comprehensive. Of course, we have some one-day trainings, but, you know, I've <laughs> I've pushed in. We're now at a five-day training and just flinched because, you know, like, it's... Annie, how are you going to get people to sign up to come for five days? And they count and they're coming because people want to see our videos, right? They want to see my work with dissociation. They want to hear the stories. They want to know everything we do to be able to do what you just asked us. And I want people to learn that. I don't want, you know. Well, and that's what keeps people in the field is they feel like they're being helpful instead of spinning our wheels. You know? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I think one of the things that you just highlighted is that what you're doing is not happening in a vacuum. There's a, there's a surrounding of support for your clients. And I think that's one of the things that's missing. Two things are missing in our field. One is that so many therapists don't know how to identify trauma, but they don't know how to identify when their client is dissociating. And then the second part is that they think that their intervention is happening and then, you know, that's it. So yeah. it's like the person might be left with this open, gaping wound when they leave and you don't realize it. And they come back and tell you that they, you know, decompensated for days and you then are like, oh, what did I do? So I think that yeah. it's it's kind of highlighting just the need for a different approach and then when we talk about foster care, I mean, the whole system of care for children in foster care and children who are involved in the child welfare system in general is just so focused on their behavior and not their healing is yeah. what I think. Well, and we have the least experienced clinicians with the toughest caseloads. Yeah. And that system is not, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. that's, that's a real it's a real issue for me because, you know, the kind of the skills that we're talking about are not in the clinician are not built in a day either, right. you know. Um, well, and the whole system needs to see it the right way, too. Well, and, you know, many therapists who come to our training say, oh, I don't want to involve the parents. And I, you know, and I say, I already know the answer. Why don't you? They're scary. They're yeah. not effective. And I said, so you've been seeing this kid for two years. And you don't involve the parents and the behaviors are not improving. Right. And so, you know, we really, this is, I mean, I was a young therapist too. Right. And of course the scary father, the scary mother, whoever. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want them in. I'm just going to take the kid in. You don't today. like someone being aggressive with you. Right. Sure. Sure. So, you know, it's, we, we try to cover all those pieces, you know, and just doing more in-depth work with those therapists that have really come with us all the way. And, we just get so many amazing emails like, all right, Annie, I did it today. I went in and I did the swords and my gosh, it worked, you know, and it's, you know, 
again. It's just, it's consultation. Well, I hear you saying that it's kind of like triaging and this person needs a tourniquet right now, you know, and it's like, we could say, we're not going to treat that. You know, we're not going to do that yet. It's, you know, we're here in the field instead of in a hospital, but they need a tourniquet now. So it's kind of saying like to to avoid the deepening of the impact of this traumatic experience on the developing self, we have to intervene now. Yes. Even though it might be painful. And imperfect. In the, right? in the short term. You know, there's going to be more layers that need to be processed later, but we have to get started. And Laura, you know, if you if people have children that have to go to the hospital and get a medical procedure, we do not give children a choice, right? Right. If their leg is broken, it might have to be hurt to be reset. But, you know, and again, we're not forcing and that's never what we do. But we know, you know, I'm very honest with children like you're going to come in here and you get to play with everything in this room. And we got to talk about your past because what's happened to you is really hurting you. You know, we have very creative ways, right? And so it's helping kids get to that point of not avoiding. So, you know, yeah. Well, I know we are just about out of time, but I want to ask, can you just tell us quickly how... How are you offering this? I hear you say that there's different lengths of time. What? Tell us what you have going on so people who are now fascinated and can't wait to hear more know <laughs> what to do asked. next. Can I talk? And let me talk about the flow chart and then you talk about the summit. So we finally created this great flow chart that's on playfulemdr.com. And the flow chart gives you our different levels and where to start. Okay? okay. So that's, you know, go to our website, go to trainings page. You'll see that. And of course, you can always email us. We answer emails all the time about what should I take, you know, and we're doing in-person stuff too. We're going to next year, we're going to be doing some in-person cities. So that'll be announced soon. But we do these other cool things too. And I'll let Ann talk about our summits. Well, one of the summits is happening right now this week, which will be too late for people who are listening to the podcast because we're recording it right now. But This spring, what we've tried to do is build some community amongst therapists who are trying to do this integration of play therapy and EMDR. And so our next event for that community will be in May in Springdale, Utah, which is at the entrance of Zion National Park. So it should be a wonderful place to also feed this spirit. And Mm -hmm. we have great presenters, including Annie is going to teach everything she knows about dissociative children in 10 hours. It's a two-day master class that she's doing. And then we have uh, Carmen Jimenez-Pride, who is going to talk about IFS, play therapy, and EMDR, a kind of triple integration. And then we also have Jackie Flynn and Karen Freed talking about gestalt play therapy and some EMDR applications for that. And so I'm very excited about just the accretive juices that are going to flow at that event. And we would warmly invite people. If they're If you're not trained in EMDR yet, you can't go to that, but there's time to get trained before then. If and we are basic right trainers. Yeah, if there's you come not to the only, site. Yeah. Yeah. There's only a handful of child therapists who are basic trainers, play therapists who are basic trainers. So our trainings that we still teach the adult protocol as well as child applications, but because we both see kids, we tend to sprinkle more kids stuff in. So we have a lot of child therapists who come to our basic. So, so even Maybe in you, your basic Laura. training, you do teach about yes. child therapy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
At least get this sometimes started. I feel like you need to learn about child therapy to help adults anyway. Yes, I'm sorry. Ah, yes. yes, for child therapy and the child within us all. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we we've got your website playfulemdr.com and I will put that in the show notes. And Ann and Annie, thank you so much for spending some time with me today and talking about this. I think this is beautiful, powerful, super important work and I'm really really glad that we got Thanks. to connect. Thank you. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.